0: Good morning again, and uh, glad you're here with us today. And uh, summer has officially arrived, hasn't it? Did you get any sun yesterday? I got a little little bit fried, so if my face looks a little bit like my shirt, you know that I was outside a lot yesterday. Um, But hey, listen, glad you're here. Before we get going, one other thing I want to mention. If you are a 110 leader or a small group leader, Bible study leader of any sort, or you're interested And maybe uh, serving in that role. Two weeks from today, uh, we're gonna have just a brief lunch and I wanna check in with you, find out how things are going, uh, share some plans and ideas for the fall. Uh, So if you could make plans to join us, your spouse is welcome to. For those of you, maybe you lead together or even if you just lead by yourself, uh, your spouse is still welcome to join you. And uh, I know uh, with Pastor Kirk leaving, I just, I wanna be able to check in and find out how things are going and share with you some thoughts about the future for our 110 groups. So two weeks from today, July 14th, after the service, if you can make plans to join us and if your 110 leader isn't here today, get on them and tell them, hey, you need to be there two weeks from today on July 14th and eat some lunch. Sound good? All right, we'll remind you again next week and we'll get an email out this week as well. Uh, today we are in our 13th week studying the story of the exodus from the book of exodus and we're going to go one more week Uh, next sunday we'll be uh, we're going to take a break after next sunday from exodus we'll come back to it again next year sometime Uh, but today the story today is really maybe uh, probably one of the top two or three well-known stories in all the bible It's where uh, God's people come up, they're running, they're fleeing, and uh, they're coming and Pharaoh changes his mind and he begins to chase after them again after having let them go. And they get to the Red Sea and God miraculously parts the Red Sea for them so that they can cross on dry ground. It's an incredible, incredible story. And uh, what's even more incredible is that it's true, and I'm going to show you a few things today and point you some directions that I think increasingly over the last probably 20, 30 years, there's been growing evidence for this having been a very truly historical event, and I'll show you a little bit of that today. Uh, But before we do, I thought, you know, maybe you're new this morning and you don't know much of this story, so let's just catch you up where we're at. God's people had had left the promised land and uh, about 400 years prior to this, uh, over 400 years prior to this. And they came to Egypt where uh, God miraculously provided for them through a guy named Joseph. And there was food and there was sustenance in time of famine. And during these 400 years, the, the people of God multiplied greatly, which was fulfilled his promise to Abraham that he would make all of his descendants into a great nation. And they multiplied so much that after 400 years, there was a new Pharaoh. Pharaoh just means king. It's just a title. It's not a name. That there was a new Pharaoh, a new king in Egypt, and he didn't remember anything about Joseph. And so as he saw all of these people, he became afraid of them. And so he begins to uh, put burdens on them and enslave them and afflict them and oppress them. And he was afraid that if they would raise up and try to fight the Egyptians man, it would be over in a hurry. And so God's people under this great affliction begin crying out to God and he hears their cry. The, the text tells us that God saw and God knew and he knew what was going on. So he raised up a guy by the name of Moses. And Moses is a pretty unlikely character because Moses for one, um, the Pharaoh had tried to kill all of the Israelite baby boys and Moses was spared from that. He had a mom who stuck him in a basket in the river right? And then he gets found and raised up in Pharaoh's house. But then at about my age, at age 40, he, uh, he murders a guy and he runs off into the wilderness. He murdered an Egyptian who was afflicting one of the Israelites. And he spends 40 years in the wilderness then where he meets his wife. He, he begins a family. And at age 80, God appears to him. Jesus appears to him through a burning bush. And says, Moses, you're gonna be the one to set my people free. I've heard their cries. I know of their affliction. You're gonna be the one I'm gonna use to free them. And uh, Moses uh, goes and he appears before Pharaoh and he calls for Pharaoh to let God's people go. and, And Pharaoh just ups the ante. He just ups the affliction, right? Every step forward towards redemption was matched with a counterpunch from the enemy. And over time, there had been now 10 plagues that God doled out on the Egyptians to win his people's freedom. The final one of which was the Passover, which we looked at a couple weeks ago. And, and we saw that, uh, that God slayed the firstborn of all those who didn't paint the doorframe of their house with the blood of the lamb and believe God's word. And so they actually chased God's people out of Egypt. And then as they're leaving though, God doesn't take them on the easy way into Israel, into the promised land. He takes them the long way. Well, I'll show you that on a map again today, but he takes them the long way, not the short way, because he has, uh, he has purpose in mind for them. He wants to build their faith and build their character. And he knows that if, if they go too soon, they're gonna meet opposition and they're gonna hightail it right back, if they can, into slavery. And so God takes them the long way to totally redeem them. And today we're going to see that on that long way, he even directs them in a way that you're like, what do you mean go back, turn back? And they do and they get trapped between a rock and an ocean (laughs) and between the mountains and the Red Sea and God miraculously rescues them. So that's the setup for today. That's where we're at. God's people have been freed and they're claiming their freedom. They're on their way out and it's gonna be totally secured here in a moment as they cross the Red Sea. But let's pray and then we'll unpack this uh, pretty well-known story together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you. uh, As Jude writes, he's the one that we see leading your people here out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and eventually into the promised land. Jesus, you're a, you are with us. You love us. As we like to say, you're the senior pastor, the chief shepherd, as Peter writes. And so as we look at your power today, would you encourage us to to trust you more, to follow you in faith uh, when maybe our eyes are fearful and our hearts are fearful, instead to choose faith, to trust you. Holy Spirit, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Uh, He would uh, instill fear into us and uh, cause us to doubt and to turn Jesus from you. Instead, change us, grow our faith, make us more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, God's taking them on the long way. And we're coming to this, this huge epic event in history of God parting the Red Sea. And what I want you to see right away here at the beginning is that God is working a plan, okay? He's working a plan for his people and for his glory, for their redemption, for their good, and for his glory. He's working a plan. See, in Exodus chapter 14, it starts like this in verse one. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, this was after they had decided to go the long way. He said, tell the people of Israel to turn back, turn back. God's telling them to turn back? Well, we'll look at that here in a moment. And he says, tell them to encamp in front of Pi-harath. You know where that is? Yeah, me neither. Nobody really knows actually exactly where this place was. It's likely a small community, all these that are mentioned that have just faded into the past. But in that time, they would have known where they were. So uh, maybe you might think of some of these places that are listed here like, uh, like a Clunet or a Four Acre. For those of you who are from this area and know what I'm talking about. They're, they're small communities that at one time uh, were vibrant, but now are slowly declining. And some people, you tell them the name of that place and they go, where? It's similar to that. It's just a small area. But in that time, they would have known exactly where this was. So the people uh, of Israel turn back and encamp in front of Pi HaHarath, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal zaphon He says, You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now, it's important here and helpful to see a little bit of geography. So, uh, those of you who like geography, I've got maps and pictures for you today. Woohoo! It's the best part of the Bible, right? When I was a little kid, all the pictures in the back. So, uh, check out this map. Wait for it, there we go. And uh, this is uh, just the land that we're looking at this morning where all of this takes place. First, you're gonna see Egypt here on the left. And that's Egypt and God's people are up in this area. Goshen is way up here to the north. That's where God's people were. And it's likely they're leaving from right in there somewhere. And then next to Egypt, we have this peninsula that's often referred to as Sinai. But it's it's actually under the control of Egypt and considered to be Egypt in this time. And then just to the uh, to the east of that is the land of Midian. And in purple you see Midian. Midian is where Moses, after he murdered the guy, he fled right. And uh, that's where he lived with the priest of Midian, and he met the met his met, uh, his wife at the well as they were watering uh, their sheep and, and getting them water. And he met them and he lives there for 40 years before Jesus appears to him in a burning bush and he comes back to rescue God's people. Well, when he, when he uh, encountered the burning bush, uh, Jesus told him, he said, you're gonna come back Moses to this place with my people. You're gonna go rescue them, free them. You're gonna come here and worship. On, because it was on Mount Sinai where he saw the burning bush where he encountered Jesus. And traditionally, most people tend to believe, and if you have a map in your Bible, it probably shows Mount Sinai in this Sinai Peninsula, about right there. And by the way, just to give you more reference to modern day Israel is right up here where you can see my laser pointer pointing. And there's a Mount here that people traditionally call Mount Sinai. And if that's the case, then this is likely the route that God's people would have taken to Mount Sinai. They're on their way, right? They're on their way there. And so if this is the case, that means, here, look at this. We'll take those, uh, those uh, colors off the screen for a second. That means most scholars, and in many study Bibles, if you have a map of this, it shows God's people not crossing down here in the Red Sea, but up here across one of these lakes along the Nile River to the Red Sea. So the one at the top is like Bala, or like and the middle one is like Timza. The bottom two are big and little Bitter Lake. And uh, a lot of scholars have thought for a long time, this is where God's people crossed. And that's what it meant by the Red Sea because it can also mean the Reed Sea. Maybe you've heard critics of this story say that if you watch too much History Channel and you watch the documentary on Moses, you'll hear him say, oh, he didn't cross the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea. Well, except every other time that that word in Hebrew, Yam Suf, comes up, it refers to a large body of water, like an ocean, not a little lake or a marshy area. And just as an aside, if it was just the Reed Sea and this small marshy area that God parted for God's people to walk through, you know, trying to explain it naturalistically, then it might be even more of a miracle that all of Pharaoh's army ends up drowning in knee-high water. (laughs) Would you agree? I mean, come on but I don't think that's the case. There's uh, recent evidence over the last 30 to 40 years and actually prior to that, but it's really gained traction that Mount Sinai is not in that traditional spot, but it's actually over here in Midian, which is modern day Saudi Arabia. And uh, if that's the case, then the route they took was likely across and over, and they would have crossed this part of the Red Sea likely. I'm gonna show you some evidence for that in a second. And then made it to this mountain called Jebel Allahs, which I'm fairly convinced. I'm not going to die for it, but I'm fairly convinced that's the real Mount Sinai. And it really matches up with the text because where was Moses when he met Jesus in the burning bush? In Midian. Not in Egypt. And it says that the people over and over, they left, they went out of Egypt. Well, the Sinai Peninsula in that day was Egypt. So How does that line up with the text? It hasn't been understood. And I wanna show you something. There's a documentary I'm gonna encourage you to go watch. And it's already posted on our website and you have a link to it in your notes. It's about 25 minutes long. It just came out in December about the place of the real Mount Sinai, the mountain of Moses. And when you get a chance this week or maybe watch it with your 110 group, go watch it. I'm gonna show you a couple things here. I'm gonna show you the trailer for that. And here's why I'm telling you to go do that because I think it will increase your faith and build your faith in the trustworthiness of God's word. So I'm gonna show you this trailer and then I'm gonna show you, uh, there's gonna be a short little section of this documentary where they actually likely, I believe, cross the Red Sea according to this route. So first you're gonna see the trailer, then you're gonna see the info on the Red Sea and then we'll pick up the text after now that we know some of the geography and keep going with the story. Sound good? All right, here you go.
1: For generations, we have been taught that we had to believe the story of the Exodus on faith alone. We were told that Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments, was located in Egypt. But there was no real evidence to make it believable. The Bible says over 70 times that the Israelites went out of Egypt, which would be mostly or entirely modern-day Saudi Arabia these sites were being kept secret by the saudi regime that hid them from the world using fences and police and the threat of force using contacts we cannot disclose and methods we cannot disclose we got to the forbidden sites we were frequently approached by saudis eager to talk to americans for the first time one of the first things they'd say with excitement is did you know moses was here let me show you where he and his people were Very little evidence that the Exodus story happened or that we actually just been looking in the wrong spot. book of Exodus says that the Red Sea crossing happened at a spot named Yom Suf, but experts have long disagreed about where it was. There are two proposed Red Sea crossing sites from Egypt into Saudi Arabia. The first candidate is at the Straits of Tyran at the bottom of Egypt's Sinai Peninsula. The second candidate is at Egypt's Nueva Beach. Dr. Glenn Fritz, who has a PhD in environmental geography, conducted a massive study of the land and all the historical references about where the crossing happened. He found only one exact match, Egypt's Nueva Beach. Nueva Beach is almost five miles long and three miles wide, providing enough room for the Israelite population to fit. Here, they'd be trapped with the mountains on both sides, the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army right behind them. Amazingly, there is a path under the water from Egypt into Saudi Arabia. The path is not too steep. The Israelites could have easily walked across if the waters were parted. Underwater research by Dr. Leonard Moeller showed strange shapes in the coral, leading some to believe that the remains of Pharaoh's army are there. According to this theory, the coral wrapped around the debris from Pharaoh's army and retained the shape of the objects after they dissolved. When they brought a metal detector down to the coral anomalies, the readings were consistent with circular patterns of metal resembling the parts of chariots. We had planned to dive near the possible Red Sea crossing point because it's a public diving site with stores where you can go and rent diving equipment. But we weren't allowed to. The Saudi police showed up, and they stayed with us until we left.
0: pretty fascinating as you watch the rest of this documentary of some of the evidence that that's likely where God's people crossed. And that Mount Sinai isn't in Egypt's Sinai Peninsula, but is in Saudi Arabia today. In fact, when it showed Mount Sinai, did you notice the top of that mountain was black? Well, God God descended in fire on Mount Sinai, right? And uh, there's other, you can find a documentary too on, uh, I think on Amazon Prime from about 20 years ago, a guy, they go up there and they actually crack open some of those rocks and they're only black on the outside. Inside, they match all of the other rock around that area. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. I would just really encourage you to go watch this documentary and I believe it'll build your faith in some of the evidence that it produces and, and uh, presents, I should say, for the reliability of God's word. This is a historical event, friends. It really happened. And so as we keep watching here, it says the people of Israel, uh, in, or keep reading in verse 2, God tells says, tell the people of Israel to turn back. See, I wonder if as they're on their route across, if, if God didn't turn them back so that they went down into that Sinai Peninsula in Egypt. And it almost would appear then that they're just wandering in the wilderness, And they're wandering down to a point where they can't escape. Can you show that map one more time for me, Bryce? Like if you look at this for a second, if if they're going and maybe they were going across up here and they're gonna go to Mount Sinai, if that's the real Mount Sinai, and then God tells them maybe somewhere in here, no, turn back in verse two. And so they turn back and they start wandering down this way. And then look at what happens as you continue reading the text. It says, tell them to turn back and go down facing by the sea. For Pharaoh then will say of the people of Israel, they're, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Why did God tell him to turn back? To lure Pharaoh after them. And I think Pharaoh, obviously, he would have had outposts of the Egyptian army all over. So they would have known where God's people were going. They would have known that they likely turned back now into this place and ah, they're trapped. They're going down into that peninsula. They're trapped by the sea on both sides. They're trapped in the wilderness. We got them. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he decides again. Now, even after having let them go, even after having suffered the loss of his son to go after the people, let's keep reading verse four, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we've done that we've let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and he took his army with him. And look at verse seven. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them. Chosen chariots means uh, that's his elite fighting force, right? That's like Pharaoh's Navy SEALs. He gets them in their chariots and that's who he's gonna chase them down with. And then he gets all the other chariots of Egypt as well. This is a massive, massive fighting force that's gonna hunt down, chase down God's people. Now, even if they were already all the way across, on the other side of the Sinai Peninsula, for for a professional army like that to close the gap on them is not gonna take long in their chariots, is it? And so they chase them down, they hunt them down. Um, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them encamped at the sea right where God had told them, by pi Harahath, ha Haroth, excuse me, in front of baal Zafan. They chase them down, they catch them. But here's the deal. God told them to turn back to that place. God is working a plan. Do you believe that? He's working a plan, loved ones. And you know, in our lives today, in your life and in my life and in the life of our church, God is working a plan. Do you believe that? He has a plan for all things that he's working so that he would receive glory, others would receive good and we would receive joy. And he understands that in that plan, there's gonna be a whole lot of up and down and he's gonna work everything though for the good of those who love him and for his glory. He's working a plan. Yet, how about you? Are, Are you like me in that we often forget that God is working a plan when we should be exercising faith? See, in this instance, God God is working a plan for his people, isn't he? He's working a plan. He's already done all these miracles. They've seen them happen before their eyes. And yet uh, they get to this spot. Pharaoh's army is chasing them down. He has them pinned in against the sea. And the people forget that God is working a plan when they should have been exercising faith in his total control and sovereignty. And in his promises. Check this out in verse 10. See, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They, they said to Moses, Moses, is it because there's, there's not enough graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Like there's not enough places to bury us there. So you brought us out here to die. Why? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt, Moses? Is it not is is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we might serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Do you remember God's people ever saying that to Moses? They might have, but if they did, it wasn't recorded. In fact, they seemed pretty excited. When Moses first shows up and says, hey, God sees your suffering, he's gonna rescue you. What do they do? They bow down and worship. And then when the plagues come, yeah, they're, they're like, well, why is this happening? Why does this have to be so hard? I, I thought God was gonna rescue us and redeem us and... Moses cries out as well, but they keep coming back to faith as they see God work and see God rescue them through the plagues, right? And now here they are out there and they're like, they just totally let it go. Oh, Moses, dude, you are the worst leader of all time leading us here. Like there wasn't enough places for us to be buried and die there. You brought us out here to die to make our lives so miserable? Why didn't you just leave us alone so that we could just keep serving the Egyptians? Why'd you have to mess with the status quo? I think what's really happening here is the comfort of the Israelite people is being threatened. And when people's comfort gets threatened, when change comes, guess what happens? People freak out. Yes, they do. And each of us do too. We all do. We, we, nobody really likes change. We like things staying the way they are. And so when, when changes happened and then it doesn't go exactly the way we thought it would go, guess what we do? We freak out. And we start lashing out maybe at people who are leading Change or lashing out at the circumstances or other people around us. And listen, like, like Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. It takes place in Exodus. God's people start lashing out at Moses. Moses is described as the greatest leader in scripture, in God's word. God describes him as one of the greatest leaders second to Jesus of all time. And yet he had people just badgering him, man. Do you see this? Moses, why'd you lead us here to die? Well, this is why God took them the long way. Because if he had taken them the quick way up into Israel, he said they would have, as soon as they faced opposition, they would have turned right back to Egypt. God was right. Because as soon as they face opposition, what do they want to do? They want to go right back to Egypt, right back to that old way of life. I've told you that the Exodus is very much a model for how God saves his people. And many times, maybe you've experienced this. God is working in our lives. He's redeeming us from something. We're making progress. And then as soon as we start to face some opposition to that progress and it gets hard, what do we long to do in our spirits? Go back. We wanna go right back to where we were. We wanna go back to those old, old patterns of sin, those old patterns of thinking. We get drawn right back into it. The Egyptians are the same way. As soon as they face opposition in their redemption and having to really step out in faith and trust God, they forget when they should be exercising faith and they wanna go right back to their old life. Yet Paul tells us in Galatians, it's for freedom that he set us free. He set us free so that we could be free. So when you face opposition, exercise faith. Don't forget that God's working a plan. See, look at what Moses says to the people. And I think he would say it to us. And I think we can rightly, maybe you might even memorize this verse for when you're facing some hardship as you're following Jesus and maybe things aren't going exactly to plan. Moses says this to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, Moses says. You only have to be silent. Moses is, you know, in uh, maybe everyday language is saying, just chill out and trust him. Trust him. He's working a plan. Exercise faith, don't forget that. I thought it might be helpful to revisit this this, uh, definition of biblical faith I've given you in the past that I learned from my pastor when I was in college. It's in four parts. Do you remember this? Biblical faith is number one, believing God's word. It's believing it, right? So when God says something, I can believe that it's true. I can trust it. I can believe it. When he says, don't do that, that's gonna ruin your life. That's gonna hurt you. What should I not do? That I should believe his word, but not just believe it, because sometimes that's just a mental assent, right? Not only believe it, but act upon it. See, see, faith. James tells us, faith without works is what—it's dead. So faith that's just a mental assent, but doesn't put anything into action, isn't really biblical faith at all. It's just a thought. It's just agreeing. The demons have that kind of faith. Biblical faith is believing God's word and acting upon it, taking a step of faith, doing something about it. The third part of this definition is the hardest part. You should believe God's word and act upon it no matter how you feel. See, imagine if the Egyptians, or the Egyptians, the Israelites here, they they face opposition God is working a plan. He's made a promise to them. I'm gonna rescue you. It's gonna be good. If they had just obeyed in faith, believed God's word, acted upon it, instead of freaking out and going after Moses, no matter how they felt. Now, if you were there, would you have been losing it just a little bit if you look over your shoulder and all the Pharaoh's army and all the Navy SEALs are coming after you? Yeah, I think you would have. But guess what you have to do? Believe God's word and act upon it no matter how you feel. Now, why would you do that? Because God promises a good result when you do. Faith is believing God's word and acting upon it, no matter how I feel, because God promises a good result. And by the way, he keeps all of his promises, everyone. He's gonna keep his promise to Israel here. They can believe him. They can act on his word. They can... They can trust him no matter how they feel, no matter what they see with their eyes, because God's working a plan, but they forgot when they should have been exercising faith, remembering that Jesus always follows through. He keeps his promises. Jesus always follows through with his promises. Numbers twenty three nineteen says, "'God is not a man that he should lie, "'or a son of a man that he should change his mind.'" He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? He keeps all his promises. Let's read the rest of this account now in in Exodus 14, starting in verse 15. So the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Now that's a strange statement because just prior to this in verse 14, if you're still looking at it in your Bible, you see Moses actually makes a pretty bold statement of faith there, doesn't he? And in faith, he says, listen, just trust the Lord. Chill out, trust him. He's gonna work. Just be still, be silent. That's all you've got to do is trust him. It's like we sang, all you have to do is praise him. He's gonna work his plan. So why does God say, why do you cry to me? Well, often when God speaks to the people, he speaks to Moses as if he's speaking to the people. And the same thing, when Moses speaks to God, he's speaking on behalf of all the people. So I think this is a critique, not necessarily for Moses, but all of the Israelites who are are losing it right here. It says, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. In other words, just take the next step. Break camp, get moving. Don't be afraid. Trust me. Do the next best step of faith that you know and trust me. My word is not a light, a flashlight to your entire rest of your life. It's, it's a lamp unto your path. Take the next step of faith. Do the next right thing. He says, tell the people to go forward. Lift up your staff, Moses. Remember God's staff? We talked about being God's presence and authority. Stretch your hand out over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Now, who's chasing after him? Pharaoh, right? And uh, what are our, all of Pharaoh's army? What are, what are his guys driving? Chariots. Have you ever seen a chariot wheel? They're, they're like Amish buggy wheels. They're, they're, they're thin, they're wood, they have metal around them. Listen, if they're gonna chase into the sea, the, the ground isn't gonna be like puddles here and there. It's gonna be dry ground so that the wheels don't sink into it. God is gonna totally uh, dry the ground for them to walk and see how he does it. He goes, I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they'll go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And, this, and the Egyptians shall know that I'm the Lord when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then verse 19, the angel of God or the angel of the Lord. Okay, that's a, red, that's a, that's a big flag. Who is that in scripture, oftentimes in the Old Testament? Jesus, this is Jesus. And we have it confirmed in Jude, Jude verse five, where he says, Jesus is the one who led a people out of Egypt. The angel of God, Jesus, I believe here, who was going before the host of Israel in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire at night, moved and he went behind them. So the pillar of cloud, Jesus had been in front of them as God's messenger. And now when when Pharaoh's army comes, what's he do? He moves behind them, in between them to protect his people. He's working a plan. He's gonna keep his promise. He stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. That's translated a little strange, but in other words, it was was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. He stood between, and at night he he lit up the camp so they could see. The Egyptians, uh, excuse me, uh, then Moses, verse 21, stretched out his hand over the sea wonder how long he held his hand there because it says the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. Now you're terrified, you're an Israelite. You just noticed that Pharaoh's elite fighting force is coming to chase you down. And yeah, they're an army, but they're a professional fighting force. And Israel as an army is an army with all of their family and possessions and cattle in tow not exactly nimble. And so uh, what are we gonna do? And then you see Jesus move around pillar of fire, divide you from the Egyptians and uh, not just for a little bit, but all night long, you're just going, what is gonna happen? And the sea opens up and it's it's night. You can't maybe even see exactly what's going on. You just know there's a ton of wind. There's a big pillar of fire. Uh, we're about to die because Pharaoh's army is coming right behind us, but God's working a plan. He's made a promise. But I, I'm guessing it's at night. They didn't really maybe even see all of this happen. They had to have wondered what was going on. It says he drove it away, drove the... Uh, by a strong east wind all night made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And then at some point, uh, Moses says, all right, here we go. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. Friends, this this is a real, true, historical event. You might think I'm crazy, but I think it takes a lot more faith not to believe in a miracle-working almighty God than it does to believe in him. See, uh, the, the, and if this causes you like, I don't know if I can believe that, just pack it up in Genesis 1, right? When God spoke and everything came about. Listen, God can do these things. He's mighty to save. The people of Israel went into dry ground. And then the Egyptians, look at verse 23, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. These were smart guys. If the ground wasn't dry, they would have never went in with their chariots. And they go in after them. All of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. Now, one thing we're not clear about from the text is whether or not Pharaoh himself went in. Or if he stayed back, we don't know. And in the morning, in the morning watch, it says, so in other words, the last watch of the night, literally, the Lord in the pillar of fire, in other words, Jesus, the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw them into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels. So maybe the water starts to slowly seep back in so that they drove heavily and the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Now even they recognize it. Then the Lord said to Moses, this was after they had made it across, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians. Now I wonder how long did it take them to cross the sea? It might have been one day, it might have been a few days, we don't know. But stretch out your hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their left hand and their right. Then thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Friends, God's working a plan. Don't forget that, but instead exercise faith, knowing that Jesus always follows through to keep his promises. Amen? And so even in the midst, as they're crossing at night, it says that in the morning, so whenever they make it to the other side, it's morning. They look back and now they can see. And what happens? They see what God has done. It's true that often you may not see God's leading right in the moment. What is he doing? I don't know. I don't get it. But in the end, sometime, maybe even not until uh, we get to be with Jesus forever, we'll be able to look back and see, oh, he was working a plan. I'm so glad I trusted him. I don't know what you're facing this week, this summer, this year, but God is working a plan. You are loved by Jesus. Never forget that. Exercise faith in him, trusting and knowing he always comes through. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. And we're gonna sing about that together. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us. I, I pray that often, but it's because it's just immeasurable and it's uh, indescribable in many ways. Lord, you've, you've set us free, Paul writes, so that we could have freedom, that we could uh, step out of our fear, step out of um, our sin and Jesus to trust you. Lord, I pray for those today uh, who've been hear hearing my voice that have maybe never trusted you with their life. They've never uh, put their true faith in, in Jesus. They've never really believed your word or maybe they've believed it, but they have never acted on it, no matter how they might feel by putting their faith in you. I pray today might be that day and if that's you all you have to do is confess with your mouth believe in your heart that that Jesus is the Lord that you are a sinner that you need a savior that Jesus is Lord that God raised him from the dead to save you he died on the sin on the cross for your sin and if you would simply believe that God's word is clear you will be saved. As Moses said to the Israelites, you, you only need to stand there and be silent and praise of him. Lord, for all of us, remind us of that truth. Remind us of the freedom you give us in Jesus. We pray all of this through him. Amen.